A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome along. Thank you very much for downloading. It is uh, episode 122 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley and alongside me this week, a welcome return for Karma Queen. Hello there. And also eating is, what was it? His chicken superfood salad. His chicken superfood salad is Mr. David Cameron Walker. How are your hangovers on Sunday? What's so, what's so super about the salad, first of all? I don't know, actually. Got a little couscous. Just general sort Quinoa. of salad. <laughs> I just thought it was called quinoa. Apparently it's pronounced quinoa. Yeah, good knowledge. Uh, hangovers all right, weekend? Fine. Yeah, good. I well, think it was wow. a two-hour bus journey home. That yeah, it was a nightmare, yeah. that wasn't it? Um, right, I thought we'd start this week with a quick quiz. So computers off, oh, iPads good. off. One of these. Yeah, okay, yep. this Sunday it's the final of the Johnson's Paint Trophy at Wembley. Chesterfield against Peterborough. It's 30 years this year since the tournament began, so how well do you know the Johnston's Paint Trophy, or the Football League Trophy, to give it its name? Five questions, shout your name when you know the answer, okay? Uh, which club has won the tournament twice and lost in four finals? Carlisle. No, he said Shout your name. your name. No, so it's Carlisle. Oh. I said it Carl. One nil to Carl. Thank you. Unless you've unless you changed your name to I, Carlisle in the last... I was going to say Carlisle. Okay. Uh, one nil McQueen. Uh, which of these sponsors did not used to sponsor the tournament? Uh, Sherpa Vans, Skull or Autoglass? Carl. Yes, Carl? Skull. Correct. They sponsored the Scottish League Cup in the 80s. You've got, got a lot of jobs. you got <laughs> some comeback to do it. Uh, which current Premier League manager won the trophy in 2010? Dave. Yes. Giving himself thinking time. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's not allowed. Can't probably imagine. It's not allowed. Uh, 2010. Four years. He's, ago. he's taking too long. Come on. Five, four, oh, three, two, one. Oh. No, gone. Uh, the answer. A steep, no, steep the answer down. is Alan Pardew with Southampton. Yeah, of course it was. On the beat, Carlo. Question four. Danny Phyllis-Gurk is the top scorer in this season's competition, but who does he play for? Uh, me? Yes. <laughs> well, that count. Uh, Oldham? You're correct. <laughs> 2 1. Son of Tony Felliscoke. Last question. Is it is Tony? Is that right? Sure, you should be a football. Well, if, that, if that's question five. Someone Google it. <laughs> uh, only one club have won the English League title and won the Football League trophy. Who are they? Oh, that's interesting. Only, Carl. only English League title. So, you, so that's. Yeah. All Carl. time. Yes, uh, Carl. But, uh, uh, no. This I, is I, the last question. I, was, I don't know. I was going to say Huddersfield, but I don't know if Huddersfield. Have... Is it Huddersfield? No. <laughs> no. Dave? One guess. If not, you lose two one. Can I have a clue? No, uh, no. Slowly's <laughs> chance. Uh, okay, they they uh, uh, they are not in the Premier League now. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, they haven't they having a good season. Oh, title. Um, that's it. Sorry, Five. Tony Preston. Three. It's Wolves who won it uh, in nineteen eighty eight. So Carl, you know your Johnson's paint trophy. Uh, we will preview the final this weekend's final between. Technically, I won that. <laughs> How? Well, because I got the first question. Oh, right. right, OK, yeah, whatever. Uh, Chesterfield against Peter, we'll preview that later. And uh, we'll react to the news that for pretty much the first time I can ever remember, someone has actually failed the Football League's fit and proper person test. Uh, that's Massimo Cellino. And barring an unlikely appeal, it means that Leeds still need new owners. We'll talk about that and the ramifications of that decision later. Plus review all the weekend's action. Big wins for Reading and Ipswich in the Championship in particular. A superb comeback from the MK Dons in League One that earned one of us here a little bit of money. And uh, in League Two, Gary Waddock's arrival at Oxford plus... The relegation battle to end all relegation battles. Almost half the division still scrapping for survival. Uh, one club being Exeter City. They badly needed three points at the weekend because they hadn't won in front of their own fans at St James's Park in over five months. And finally, they delivered. They beat Fleetwood 3-0, a result which gives their prospects of securing their status in the Football League a huge boost. We'll talk later about a difficult season for Paul Tisdale and his players to Simon Larkins, who's a sports reporter for the Exeter Express and Echo plus a regular on the ECFC Talk podcast. But first, let's be honest, there's only one massive story in town this week. Following a season full of political manoeuvring, touchline bans, arguments with photographers, media blackouts, Nottingham Forest have finally pulled the plug 
and sacked their manager, Billy Davis. It follows a run of seven league games without a win, a sequence of results that's knocked them out of the championship playoff places for the first time in four months. The final straw was Saturday's humiliating 5-0 defeat to Derby, their worst defeat to their arch rivals in 116 years, and to make it worse, one masterminded by their old manager, Steve McLaren. Now, as we record on Monday evening this week, there's all sorts of rumours doing the rounds about Neil Warnock coming in or not. Forest chairman Fawaz al has I knew I was going to screw that up. How do you say it, Dave? Fawaz uh, Al-Azawi. Yes, him. Mr. Azawi has stressed the need for patience as he searches for the right man to come in. Uh, so who is going to be their 21st manager in 21 years since the retirement of the late Brian Clough? And can that manager get them back to the Premier League for the first time since 99? I've got two, uh, two guys on the line right now who are going to help us dissect all this. Uh, Steve Wright writes the mist rolling in from the Trent Forest blog. He's also written for Seat Pitch and the Two Unfortunates. Daniel Story is a freelance football writer who is based in Nottingham and he writes for Football 365 and many others. Both Steve and Daniel are massive Forest fans and I'm pleased to say they both join us on the line right now. Daniel, let me start with you then. Uh, firstly, your reaction to Billy Davis being sacked. Is this the right decision? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, his association with the club and the club's reputation through Davies was making, you know, it was becoming untenable. He was a man that was very serving and, and when things are going right with Billy Davies, then then it all seems well, but as soon as things go awry, that's when that's when, when it becomes very apparent that actually this is a man that doesn't take well to, to negative publicity and criticism. And, and and some of our performances in the last eight games have, have, have very much deserved that. We've we've had some horrible injuries, and, and to be honest, I feel for Davies slightly, and you know that 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 is none of his fault. But unfortunately, what goes around comes around in football, and and actually he he is a man that. If anyone deserves some bad luck, then it's probably Billy Davies at Forest, to be honest. Daniel, I remember there was a reasonable amount of um, uh, of good feeling when Billy Davies came back to the club after the, the tough times that you had under O'Driscoll, McLeish, the whole McLaren saga the year before. And, you know, Davies was sort of seen as this kind of saviour. He's come back and, you know, we were a bit disappointed when he left before. Uh, and he nearly got in the playoffs last season. And as you as you mentioned, all the problems with the media this year have really kind of taken the the shine away from some good performances this year until it's kind of unravelled in the last few weeks. But where do you think it went wrong? What changed with Billy Davies this time? When did it kind of turn into all these all the focus being on the whole you know media blackout and everything? Because it wasn't a bad start. No, no, it wasn't. I mean, I mean, I should say that that not every Forest fan was was pleased to see Billy Davies back. He, he is a manager more than probably any other that I can think of that, that very much divide supporters though this feeling of, of what Billy David himself called unfinished business, which is that he felt his his original sacking was unfair and therefore he felt he had you know, he had a job to do at Forest. Not everyone was pleased to see him back. I mean, part of the reasons he lost his job in the first time, I imagine are the same reasons he's lost it this time, in that he you know, he makes everything very much about the individual rather than the club. He did start well this season, although it should be said that we spent more money than probably any other club than QPR in the summer and, and they did make money from their transfers. You know, they, they sold players like Christopher Samba as we, you know, the only player we sold was, was Adling Guadiora. He made so many signings that, you know, it was clear that the club wanted promotion, an automatic promotion. They weren't really interested in the playoffs. As you probably know, Forrest have got a pretty awful relationship <laughs> with the playoffs anyway. And from what the owner, Fawaz Al-Hansari, has said today, you know, we... This was a club that expected automatic promotion this season. The last eight games, we've looked like anything but. And actually, even before that, Burnley and Leicester have both been, you know, they've constantly held Forest at arm's length this season. And, and we've never really looked like getting the automatic promotion that they wanted. So whilst it's difficult to, to overly criticise for our league form in the last eight games due to the injuries, we've actually never really looked like automatic promotion this season. It's always looked like a, a building season, which is unfortunately when you have new owners with new money and a lot of money, they're simply not going to allow a manager that sort of time. Steve, I was going to bring you in here. I was reading your piece for the two unfortunates. And I know you're of the perspective that you were, you're glad to see the back of Billy Davies because you didn't want him there in the first place. On those side of fans things, why was that? Why did you not want him there all along? I think it's, it's similar things to what Daniel's already been saying. For me, it was the, the turning point this time around, particularly. I mean, I wasn't happy when he first came back, but the turning point was when he sort of went public through Jim Price's Twitter account to announce that it was all about payback um, and talking about revenge. And I think that kind of summed up then all of the problems that we've been having with um, media relationships and with other relationships within the game as well. It was 
kind of knowing that that sort of thing tends to follow Billy Davies that made me not want him back um, predominantly. Having said that, and I, I say I don't think it is about results this time around, um, even though we've gone on a bad run. Billy Davies does work like this. He goes in runs, he has good runs, and then he has bad runs. And they tend to kind of average out at the playoffs. And at Forest, what's happened then is that we've we've stuttered, we've run out of, of energy, really. We've failed at the playoff stage. Now, given the amount of money that Billy Davies usually spends, and he's done it again this time around, that's a big gamble for me. Um, it's not something that, that I'm a, a big fan of. Um, owners coming in, throwing a huge amount of money at somebody you can't guarantee that that's going to deliver promotion and it leads to potential problems down the line. And I think that's the route we've gone down again this time around. And it's, it's a real concern to me about also what are we going to do next? Um, are we going to continue with this policy? Because we've tried it several times, we've paid big for it, and already the Al Hasari family are in for a lot of money. Um, I'd be estimating they must be getting somewhere close to 60 million at this stage. That's a big gamble, and it's something that certainly makes me uncomfortable as a supporter. Steve, tell us a bit about uh, Jim Price, because uh, Jim, I believe, is uh, Billy Davis' cousin, but he's also his agent, and he's been working at the club uh, despite failing a, a fit and proper person's test. Um, do you think it is more for sort of that side of things that the axe has fallen on him as opposed to what's actually been happening on the field? Yeah, well, Jim Price is, um, as I understand it, he's both Billy Davis' cousin, both his agent, like you said. Um, he's had a unofficial role within the club. I mean, he's talked quite openly himself um, on Twitter about really a quite active day-to-day involvement, but it's never been made official in any sense. He's not been appointed um, as a director of the club um, or in any general manager role officially. It's just been hinted at that that's the type of role that he's been carrying out at the club. I would say that that was one of the reasons, the main reasons around why you would want to change the manager. That's an unfortunate relationship to have within the club, um, that it wasn't helpful to the club and that it put other things than football and Nottingham Forest at the top of the agenda. I'd like to think that that's probably the reason for for what's happened. I'm also, though, slightly nervous that it is actually in part because we've fallen out of the playoffs and that that Fawaz feels that we need to get promoted because we've spent a lot of money um, and it's almost a reaction to that on his part rather than what I think is a genuine reason for making a change that the reputation of the club has been tarnished um, and that these relationships are unhelpful. I mean, certainly, you know, we had Sean O'Driscoll previously. A lot of fans were behind what Sean O'Driscoll was doing. He was only just outside the playoffs as well when he was sacked in, in December 2012. So there is a, a previous record of actually sacking people for not being in a promotion place. Um, and I worry that it's actually is the results that are going through Farris's lines, even though I think that is the wrong reason for making the decision. I think there's actually an alternative, very valid reason. Looking for your injury list, Daniel, how much of a mitigating factor has that been, this, the serious number of injuries um, Billy Davis had to put up with this season? You know, it's been huge. It's you, You'll speak to, to fans a lot older than I will, and they'll say it's the worst injury run they can ever remember and and to follow on from Steve's point therefore if the reason as is the suspicion is that it's results that Billy's been sacked for then that's when you do have to slightly feel for him because you know no manager could deal with not just the number of injuries but the injuries to key players I mean you know players such as you know we signed Kelvin Wilson for two and a half million and, and he's been injured for most of the season we've you know the captain Danny Collins has been injured we've had Andy Reid injured we've had Henry Lansbury injured you know these are players who are not just good Forest players are also players that would, would potentially be amongst the best players in the Championship. Having said that, the performance, such as the one against Derby, that wasn't just down to the injuries. You know, that, that, that was, you know, I was there and that was a, that was a performance that was not just of insufficient quality, but, but completely gutless and passionless. And, and the worry, if I was the owner of, of Nottingham Forest with the sort of money that Fawaz has got and therefore, you know, with the accompanying impatience that he'll undoubtedly have, the worry would be that with the money I've put into that club, it's not just the fact that we're falling out of the playoffs, it's the fact that we're, we're falling. You know, we're, we're a club that's not won in seven matches, which, is, you know, it's not a huge amount of time, but, you know, there hasn't been a, a decent performance in those seven matches. And the job of someone like Davies is, even in, within an injury crisis, is, is to get the most out of what he's got. And to be honest, I don't think that Davies has been doing that of late. Now, whether that, as I say, is because of some of these off-the-field stories and off-the-field 
publicity that he courts and invites is a different question. But as I say, the job of the manager is to get the most out of the players he's got available. Injuries or no injuries, I don't think Billy Davis has been doing that recently. So, Dan, that, that leads me to kind of question where did Forrest go from here? Because it looked like at one stage this morning it was, it was going to be Neil Warnock as we record this on Monday evening. Uh, there are plenty of reports out there saying that Warnock has confirmed that he won't be taking the job anymore. So whoever comes in now has got a depleted team, you know, limited opportunity to bring uh, new players in, and you've got to, you know, the time is fast running out to, to rescue this season. So for whoever comes in, it's going to be a difficult job to to get Forest's momentum back. And I mean, in terms of Neil Warnock, I think it would be fair to say on behalf of a large number of fans the main thing that Neil Warnock had going for him was that he wasn't Billy Davies and actually very little else he's not a fan he's not a manager that Forest fans have ever warmed to partly because of his association with different clubs and partly because of just his demeanour and I think there are plenty of fans that would be happy for him not to, to join on a personal point of view I think that this season is probably pretty much done and dusted you know, Bernie and Leicester will, will take those automatic formation spots. I think there's a little doubt of that. And in the playoffs, Forest have been typically unreliable. You know, clubs like QPR and even Derby, as it pains me to say, will probably fancy themselves against in the playoffs. With that in mind, I would prefer the academy manager, Gary Brazil, to be given until the rest of the season. I don't see any benefit to appointing... I, I, I'm never a fan of these appointing a manager until the end of the season basis. I just think it leaves a sour taste in in both fan, you know, fans, clubs and that manager's mind. I don't think that helps. I mean, clearly, if, if you had a manager that you were confident enough, had enough quality and knew the squad enough to take us into the playoffs and where we are, brilliant. But I don't see that there's any manager out there that has a better knowledge of that squad than Gary Brazil at the moment. He might not be the best man for the job long term, but he, he, he is surely good enough to take them until the end of the season. And then in the summer, look to that long-term option. Ideally, make it a young manager with you know, who looks to build something in Nottingham Forest rather than the short-term options that we constantly seem to be labelling ourselves with and and also a manager that needs to be of a strong enough personality that he feels he's not going to be sacked after a seven-game bad run, quite frankly, because, you know, in the Championship, it's a, it's, a, it's a long season. You can go seven games without winning and still get automatic promotion. They probably will need more money to spend, although I'd be slightly cautious about spending that with the FFP rules. But what they really need is some reassurances from the owner that they will be there for the long term. And, and quite frankly, whether or not fans wanted David or not, he never really felt like the long term because he was always just coming back on a personal basis to, to get his revenge and, and finish his business. I just know, uh, just briefly, as the betting odds change almost by a minute at the moment, inevitably someone will get appointed uh, by the time this podcast comes out. But Gianfranco Zola is now very nearly Evans' favourite. Uh, to take it, manager. Warnock's gone out to 10, so, I mean, by tomorrow it'll be something completely different, obviously. But, uh... um, Steve, what's your take on where Forrest should go from here in terms of the next manager? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm nervous at the moment, I have to admit. Um, like Daniel, I was no great sort of fan and, and excitement about um, Neil Warnock coming. But I see that journalists close to him are referring to his uncertainty that he could work with the conditions. Now, that might mean he wanted a longer contract. It might mean he wanted more money. Um, it might also mean that he felt there was going to be some level of interference from the chairman, maybe. That's something that's been intimated by previous managers um, in this sort of brief ownership period that they've had. Um, the relationship with Sean O'Driscoll implied there was interference. Um, Alex McLeish very quickly decided, um, although it obviously wasn't going very well for him, personally anyway, but he quickly decided that that relationship wasn't working. Um, there's a worry there that actually the way in which the club as a whole is being operated isn't really the way that we would want it to be. Yeah, um, that... I don't want to make accusations about what, what he's doing as a, as a chairman. You know, He's got lots of um, positive aspects to him. But there does seem to be an issue with those relationships. Yes, and, um, Steve, this, this brings me back to kind of what you were saying earlier. This is, you've hit on a, a really interesting point here. Because because of the, you know, the overwhelming negativity in the media and from fans towards Billy Davies, it seems a little bit like the chairman is getting off lightly here. That if... You know, he may well, like you said earlier, he may well have made this decision for the wrong reason. It could be a knee-jerk decision because you dropped out the playoffs and he's thinking, right, panicking here. We need to try and get up this season. 
and everyone's sort of focusing on you know Billy Davies the Wicked Witch is dead and we can all go back to going to the matches now and, and doing our post-match press conferences like the good old days but actually the bigger concern here is, is not that Billy Davies has been sacked it's that this manager has sacked another uh, this owner has sacked another manager for the wrong reasons he's done it before and you know there's got to be real concerns about the long-term sort of direction of the club while Alassar is in charge yeah, I think that's right. I think fans are, are loath to go there because they know, you know, he's an owner with money. He's putting money in, um, and they're, they're kind of loath to to ask those questions um, in some cases. But I mean, you have to look after twenty months in charge and all of these managers and all the things that have happened. You do have to ask questions, and I think more and more voices are starting to say the next most important. Um, appointment is not actually the manager. It's somebody to run the club, um, somebody to stand between the owners and the football side of the business who's got experience and has got some gravitas and can actually do the delivery for them, um, bring in the manager and do all of the, the delivery of football structures and football processes like player recruitment, player development. Somebody who can actually lead on that. Um, I think there's a growing discomfort as to whether the owners are actually personally capable of fulfilling that role, even though they seem to have a desire to do so. Daniel, um, I'm just interested to get your view on where Billy Davis goes from here, because, I mean, what top club in the top couple of divisions is going to touch him after a, an episode like this? I'd be very surprised if, if a club in the, well, clearly not the Premier League, but even the Championship touched him from here. I think he would probably have received a fairly weighty payoff from the Al Hasawis, which I, I would imagine both him and Jim Price will be happy to dine out on for a while. <laughs> um, from what I hear, I suspect he will, the next move for him is probably a mid to lower table Scottish Premier League club. I mean, I know that whilst obviously Twitter is a, is a global thing, I know that, that, that Scotland treats him a little bit more favourably than, than England currently does, certainly the Scottish media. Therefore, I wouldn't be surprised to see him somewhere in, in, in Scotland that would clearly be a quite a sizable hit to the ego of, of Billy but, but you know that's that sort that's the bet he you know he made himself. When he came back to Forest with this unfinished business tag he he, he, he would have known that he was very much going for sink or swim and and in sinking I suspect he's burnt his bridges clearly with, with with the national and local media but also with with the championship as well because it's one thing sort of pushing your persona forward and pushing your own individual agenda forward but but that's actually affected you know it, it's not just a local news story anymore it, it's become a national news story and and you know those those sort of ripples will will stay he, he's very much i mean you know he he's got too big an ego to take a league one job quite frankly unless it was a unless it was a huge club down in league one therefore his only option really i suspect is to go hopefully tail between legs back up to scotland the weird thing is, though, I mean, he's by no means the worst manager that Nottingham Forest have ever had. But So I don't really understand why he, he has got caught up in, in all this kind of paranoia and, you know, photographers and blackouts. Why why, is, why has all this happened? Why, why can he not just have got on with a job it, as normal? It stems, I mean, I, I don't know exactly, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm almost certain that it stems from his days at Derby when he felt that having got them to the Premier League, he was cast adrift by their owners in favour of Paul Jewell after not being, you know, it was a terrible start in the Premier League, but he, he felt they didn't get a fair crack at the whip of the Premier League. And since then, it's almost not been about Billy Davies against owners. It's been about Billy Davies against the Premier League. That's been his nemesis. He wants to get to the Premier League and he wants to prove that he can make it and do a job. And he, he clearly feels he's a better manager than some managers. And, and I suspect Warnock would be included in that, that has been given a, a bigger chance in the Premier League. And therefore, he, he made this an individual battle because he felt coming back to Forest was his most realistic chance of fulfilling that Premier League dream. And in doing that, he created that revenge mentality, which he knew would get fans on side because, you know, it's very easy to say it because I'm a Forest fan, but there are, there are, I imagine very few clubs that feel, whose fans feel that they could and should be in the Premier League, but have not been there for 15 years as much as Forest do. In that, he put all those eggs in, eggs in that basket to get in the Premier League with Forest and it not having worked that may well be his last chance to do so. I'd be very surprised if in the next 10 years you see Billy Davies managing in the Premier League, whether it's getting a club promoted there or being appointed by a club that are already there. Steve, 
I'll try and end on a positive note. Let's be honest, you're seventh at the moment. The season isn't a write-off. If, if indeed, as has been mentioned already, maybe Gary Brazil continues the rest of the season. I know he's in charge of the midweek game against Charlton. Just a, Again, it's easy to say it's just a couple of wins, but you're in the, the next best position to be in the playoffs. The season isn't a write-off just yet, surely. Not entirely. I mean, there's obviously there's a, there's a possibility that they can turn form around a little bit, get back into the playoffs. I actually personally think that Wigan are the team that are most likely to go up, um, assuming that Burnley don't slip up and allow them into the automatic places. I think Wigan are so good, so strong, got so much depth that they will actually win the playoffs anyway. I think this is one of my frustrations with Forest at the moment is that the way that we approach each season at the moment is that it's almost a we have to go up situation. And you can never get, you can never do that. Um, you can never guarantee that that's going to happen. Um, and in some senses, that does make this a potential bit in off-season because we don't have a plan that can incorporate failure to get promoted. Having said that, what is positive is that we've got some very strong young players in this squad at the moment. We've got the Carl Darlows, the Jamal Lascelles, the Henry Lansbury, the Jamie Patterson, all signed up onto contracts. So we've got the core of what is a very exciting and very talented young squad. If we've got the foresight to build upon that in a sensible, managed way, rather than just this sort of 13 players a season summer activity that, to me, is is hindering us rather than helping us. And the next season, it's the 150th uh, anniversary, isn't it, of the club's existence? So, perfect season to go up. <laughs> I'm sure we'll find a way to ruin that. As well. <laughs> right, let's let's leave it there, guys. Thank you very much for uh, coming on and speaking to us. Uh, that was uh, a Steve Wright, Forest fan, and Miss Rowling in from the Trent Blogger, um, who's also written for Seat Pitch and the Two Unfortunates and Daniel Story, writer for Football Three Six Five, and many others. Uh, let us know your thoughts if you're a Forest fan at Wagyu Podcast on Twitter. Next, we're going to swap the top of the Championship for the bottom of League Two as the Grecians finally put an end to their home hoodoo. So it was the result that certainly put pay to a few accumulators over the weekend. Exeter City 3, Fleetwood Town nil, and Elliot Richards brace and own goal by Big John Parkin condemning the promotion chasing Cod Army to defeat in Devon and it gave Paul Tisdale's side their first home win in over five months. Uh, since they beat Plymouth in early October, they'd lost eight and drawn five of their last 13 at St James's Park, scoring in only four of them. Now though, with a five-point cushion established above the relegation zone and a big fixture coming up in midweek at Plymouth can Exeter push on and finish the season strongly or could they still be caught by the teams below them and suffer relegation out of the Football League let's find out more about that win on Saturday and a difficult season so far from Simon Larkins who is a sports reporter for the Exeter Express and Echo and a regular on the ECFC Talk podcast which comes out every Thursday Simon first of all thank you very much for talking to us Uh, let's start with Saturday's game if we can I think it was one win in the last 14 before Saturday how much did the whole club need a lift with that result in performance? Uh, yeah, they they definitely did need it. Um, they were close to breaking, I think, a, a record held by Darlington for uh, most defeat, one of the consecutive games at home without a win. Um, they were about two, two games away from that. And with home games from now until the end of the season, Accrington still to face at St James's Park, Cheltenham still to face at St James's Park, Torquay still, still to face at home as well. They needed a lift at home and a result and a belief that they can pick up the points needed now and from now until the end of the season at home. So it's a crucial win, really. Simon, I find Exeter quite a curious club because it's a, we've spoken about them a number of times over the last few years on this podcast. I seem to remember a couple of seasons ago we were discussing a similar sort of poor run of form at home, not quite as bad as this one maybe, but there were, there were certainly problems, more problems um, at home than, than there were away. And... You know, you've kind of fluctuated. The form has been up and down. Paul Tisdale's very still has this reputation as being a bright young manager, bit of a character. Uh, sometimes gets links with jobs at higher levels, but yet the club aren't really doing that well. You're not really going anywhere at the moment. And I, I dare to say that if if Exeter were another club, uh, Paul Tisdale may well not be there anymore. Such as the kind of almost malaise that you sort of sometimes appear to be in. Yeah, I mean that's a very good point. I mean, you mentioned there that a few years they were they were doing well, and perhaps Paul Tisdale was being linked with higher league jobs. Well, they actually put him on a, a very good contract 
when he was being linked with the likes of Swansea uh, just before Brendan Rodgers got the job, uh, Southampton before Atkins got the job there. He was being linked with both of those jobs and they put him on a, a kind of a two-year rolling contract, I believe, and um, that meant they would get some compensation when they believed Tisdale would um, move on to a higher higher job. But uh, the, the flip side of that is that when things haven't gone wrong, obviously Tisdale's got the, the job security that perhaps other managers in, in other positions haven't. Uh, we saw, obviously, Chris Wilder leave, leave Oxford as his contract was running down. Well, Tiz doesn't have that because it's a, continuously a, a two-year role in contract. So, in terms of getting rid of Tiz, it would have been very difficult. I'm not, I'm not sure that would have been the right answer anyway to um, Exeter City's troubles this this season. But it, it would have been very difficult for the club to have done that. And they seem to have a lot of patience, the patience aboard, and and believe in what Tiz is trying to do do with the club. But obviously, they haven't got a lot of money because they're supported trust owned as well. So, you know, they can't just go hiring and firing managers and leave them in a worse financial situation. Uh, what's the reaction been like amongst the Exeter fans? Because obviously he's a much-loved manager for what he's achieved at the club. And I think, is it something stupid like he's the second longest-serving manager after Arsene Wenger in out of uh, all 92 league clubs, something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, in, yeah, a situa- right, yeah. in a situation like this where you go so long without a win, particularly at home, and obviously Exeter's a long way from a lot of the, uh, the other places that they're playing league to, so there might not be a huge percentage of fans who travel away. Has the frustration sort of boiled over to a point where they've been calling for his head? Yeah, he's a manager that polarises opinion amongst people at St James's Park. Um, I mean, there's some that sympathise with him with the lack of money that he's had to spend, and then there's others that you know have just got frustrated with the home form. And it, it did boil over a bit um, when they lost to Northampton one 0 earlier this month at home. Uh, there were were chance of Paul Tisdale taking us down, but uh, I, I think it only needed a, a positive performance like. The, the win against Fleetwood um, for people to have a bit more faith and believe that Tiz is going to keep Exeter City up this season. So um, it's, it's not got to the, the point where the majority of the fans want him out, but there's, there's certainly uh, a vocal, possibly 40%, who, who believe perhaps perhaps he should be on his way. But again, it's very difficult for them to, um, to get rid of him based on the contract he's on. And, and I, I think it would be the wrong move as well. Simon, for those of us who don't get to see the team week in, week out, what sort of squad has put itself got at his disposal to, to keep the club in the uh, in the Football League this season? Um, well, he brought back a few of the experienced players because they perhaps had been not performing the best throughout the season and he was blooding a few youngsters into the side in the hope that that might turn results around. But he's brought a few of the experienced heads back into the side for the Newport game where they got the 1-1 draw there uh, and the, the win against Fleetwood. He brought Butterfield back into the side at right back. He brought Matt Gill into a, a central defensive midfield role. He also moved Scott Bennett, who although is only 22, he's, he's got a, a good uh, amount of experience over 100 league games with Exeter City, so he's got a good amount of experience. And it's those, those players, that if they can perform from now on to the end of the season, the eight remaining games that are going to keep Exeter safe because they've just got a a bit more solidity about them in defence. And if those players can continue the performance they showed against Fleetwood in the remaining eight games, maybe pick up, pick up a few more clean sheets than they have this season because currently they've got six, which I think matches Torquay, but it's one of the worst records in League Two. And you know if they can just perform well from now until the end of the season, pick up a couple more clean sheets... Um, I don't think they'll be in, in danger of going down, but we'll just have to, fingers crossed on that, really. You're currently 20 points off uh, off your total amount of points that you got last year. You got 64 points last year, which was five points outside the playoffs in the end. But you're in the playoff shake-up for large parts of, of last season. It's unlikely that you're going to get anywhere near the 64-point the mark this season. You'd have to win pretty much all of your games left. So what 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 has been the reason for for the drop off this season? I know Jamie Curtin obviously scored a lot of goals for you. Had to had to leave the club. I think some other players left in the summer as well. But you know, has do you think it's been justified? You know, this this drop off in terms of Paul Tisdale having a weaker squad at his disposal this season, or or should we have done better this season? Do you think? Well, twenty one goals from Jamie Curtin this season would have certainly helped. Um, the, the the strikers um, currently at the club 
haven't weighed in with uh, that amount of goals. I think own goal is currently the second high scorer in, in the squad. So <laughs> tells its own story. Alan Gow got seven, and then of course he had to be loaned out to ease the cash flow situation in January. Would Exeter City have struggled to the point where people were actually predicting them to go down had Alan Gow stayed in in January? Probably not. But um, yeah, I, I think goals has been a problem. So the there's mitigating circumstances when you see how the club have done this this season in in terms of the, the weaker squad. So there's there's certainly that belief. But uh, to be in a relegation scrap and a dogfight, I think most fans would would say that's below par, and they would have been expecting Exeter City to be somewhere uh, around mid table, maybe pushing for a playoff place later on. So it's fallen below expectations. I would have said. Say so Exeter do stay up. What happens during the summer, Simon? What changes need to be made to help improve? This squad, in terms of you know certain positions, I mean, Paul Tisdale one assumes would stay on if they stay up. But what needs to change during the summer, you think, to ensure they have a better time next time around? Um, well, they need answers off the field. The, the Alan Gow sale was quite worrying because they were talking about the budget for next year and they, they said, well, they couldn't afford Alan Gow's wages. So the chances are that they they might have to get rid of a few more players in the summer and. You look at how that affected Torquay in the summer because Torquay only just survived last year, had to give get rid of a few of their players uh, and they look almost certainty to go down that year. And that's very worrying um, if Exeter City are going to do the same. So I wouldn't say necessarily changes on the pitch. need They need answers at, at board level. They need more investment coming in. They need to, to think of more revenue streams, how to get more money into the club. Gates have fallen below 3,000, which it was unexpected from a, a, at a board level so um, missing out on all that money season ticket renewal sales aren't going well so you, they need to find more answers off the pitch than they do on it if they survive in the summer Obviously you mentioned the ownership situation there and, and the board obviously Exeter is one of the handful of clubs that are owned by the supporters um, how do you think we were talking recently to, to a Wickham Wanderers fan who have kind of moved away look like they're going to be moving away from the, from the fan ownership model uh, and we're talking about the pros and cons of that how has it worked out for Exeter City and you know do you see a change in the future you know in, if you're going to move forward does, does then ultimately you know can fan ownership only take you so far um, there, there's an element to that I think certainly there's a, a belief that fan ownership can only take you so far you look at the the clubs in in League 2 and you say Exeter City were probably one of the poorest in the, in the fact that the, in terms of squad and wages, they just go on a cash flow basis. They need investment, but at the same time, fans are very worried because obviously they've had a few dodgy owners in the past. So you don't want someone like that coming in and putting the club into the jeopardy it was before. But perhaps outside investment uh, might be the way forward, moving away from the fan, fan ownership or just you know trying to think outside the box a bit with, with how to get more money into the club, more people through the gates and try and perhaps cut more expenditure, not on the playing side, but, you know, at, at board level or make sure it's it's better run in, in, in that sense. Thanks very much for coming on, Simon. Nice to talk to you. No worries. Try and enjoy the rest of the season if you can. That is uh, Simon Larkins. Yep. Uh, sports. We need a few more home wins. <laughs> if that's the case, but. I think. I think you're playing. You play. You play my. I support Barry. I think you're playing us in a couple of weeks. So uh, I think you've got a few games actually against the team still below you. So you could still get right back. Uh, back into it. as well. Yeah. So, yeah, Barry's an away one, so uh, I fancy our chances against that uh, up at All right, that's you faded out. <laughs> uh, that was uh, Simon Larkins, uh, sports reporter for the Exeter Express and Echo and a regular on the ECFC Talk podcast. If you want to hear more from Simon, download that on uh, Thursday this week. Uh, next is the bit of the show where we give Football League fans 125 seconds to tell us all about their side or to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Football League. And today, it's the turn of Huddersfield Town. This is We Are Going Up, my club in 125 seconds. Hello, my name is Stephen Rothbard and my club are Huddersfield Town. So Stephen, do you remember your first trip to, well I suppose, would it have been the John Smith Stadium? Um, No, it was the uh, McAlpine Stadium back then. And what was the game? Um, It was Wickham Wanderers. Uh, We lost it 1-0, I seem to remember. Who is your favourite Huddersfield Town player of all your years as a fan? Um, Difficult one. Been a few, but I guess I'd probably go for Andy Booth. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the worst player, though, to ever grace the Huddersfield shirt? 
the worst player. <laughs> There's been a few of them. <laughs> we had a guy when Lee Clark was here called Dominic Worley. He lasted for about two games and then we never saw him again. But he was pretty terrible. What position? I think he, well, he's trying to be a left back, I think. Poor <laughs> <laughs> old Dominic. Uh, what do you prefer? Alfred McAlpine, John Smith's, or, or Galfon? <laughs> um, I'm choosing. I prefer Lee Drove. But, um, Good. That's the right answer. <laughs> Tell us about. Um, well, I mean, you've had so many sort of play- seasons in the playoffs and, and playoff finals and, and stuff like that. Tell us about the the worst moment of one of those campaigns when you've, you've nearly gone up but not quite made it. Yeah, I think the worst one was probably um, the Peterborough one we lost at Old Trafford. We finished about seven million points above them in the league <laughs> and uh, just capitulated in the playoff final. Have I made this up? Or did Jordan Rhodes not play in the final? Yeah, right, yeah. We played Benny Cafobo. <laughs> Lee, what are you doing? What was that all about? Let's end on the positive then. Um, what has been the best moments of being at Huddersfield Town in your short existence? Um, it has to be the Sheffield United final. Watching Steve Smithson <laughs> blast the last penalty over the bar. Even sitting through that penalty shootout, which probably lasted longer than the game itself. It's probably the most horrible... 17 minutes of my life for the greatest few days fantastic well Stephen you're two minutes up thank you very much thank you my club in 125 seconds we are going up we've got the football league covered so there will be another My Club along next week if you'd like to come on and represent yourself. Come your... up with an idea yet about how we're going to get all, all these clubs I was about to in. say this, yeah. Come Before on. Before the end of the season, we do need fans. At Wagyu Podcast, or you can get in touch. We are going up.co.uk slash contact. Yeah, so we, we've still got quite a lot of fans to get We're going to need to start getting fans who support multiple clubs all at once. You might have hit on a great idea there. Yeah. But if you do, you should be banned because you shouldn't be supporting more than one club. They're the club. kind of people that buy those scarves that have got yeah. both teams on them. Um, yeah, in answer to your question, I don't really know. You were suggesting around the time of the playoffs, perhaps when it's a bit empty, maybe just getting like 20 fans on. Yeah. I don't know. We, we might not be able to make it. We'll uh, we'll, we'll see what It'd we can do, though, impressive, between, the end of, uh, between now and the end of the season. Let's talk about what's been going on this week, though. Um, now, this is a full set of fixtures in the Football League in midweek that may or may not have been played by the time you hear this. Uh, but we're going to uh, touch on what happened uh, on Saturday and Sunday. We'll start with uh, Leicester. One old draw at Blackburn in the Championship. We should uh, wish Nigel Pearson a speedy recovery, though. He was taken to hospital after being taken ill uh, during the game, but he should have been released by the time you hear this. It was just as a precautionary measure. They drew. A bit uh, worrying, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's, it's a, as you say, as a precaution. It looks like he's absolutely fine. He'll have the best possible care, but I think he complained of chest pains, didn't he, after the game? Yeah. And obviously, you know, there's yeah, a. Spill, there's, spill there's, there's, all over the desk, sorry. <laughs> there's a history of, of managers, you know, various managers struggling with with heart problems it's a very 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 intense job very high stress levels and you know he's probably in the least stress stressful period <laughs> that he could possibly be in at the moment and it's only going to get you know worse in the Premier League so I do obviously we do wish him all the best but it's, uh, it's pretty slightly concerning for, for himself and you know for fans of Leicester City Well they look quite fortunate actually to get a point in the end of Blackburn it does keep that um, unbeaten run going that long unbeaten run 17 games now and they play uh, Yeovil in midweek and then on Saturday we have a potential title decider on our hands uh, because it is uh, Burnley against Leicester live on Sky lunchtime on Saturday Burnley won 3-0 at Charlton uh, to end uh, Jose Riga's unbeaten start there Ashley Barnes Michael Kitely and Sam Vokes of his 20th goal of the season it was one all at the KP this is a game to look forward to isn't it Saturday afternoon absolutely I mean as you say you could really pull Burnley in, right into the, to the race for the title you know, both of them it'd be interesting what the atmosphere at the ground one actually because they are basically both up I'm just working yeah. this out I think Leicester can get promoted if they beat Yeovil um, and then win this game mathematically if Derby and QPR drop points they can they can be up if they beat Burnley <laughs> I can't work out the maths on the spot of that but um, are you sure? Yeah, it does seem a bit early doesn't it in if March? they win against Yeovil that's 84 points that puts them 18 points clear of, of Derby this is Ryzen Derby and QPR dropping points in midweek yeah. as well so that's 18 points clear <laughs> with 6 games to go no it yeah. won't it's win, uh, 9 games to go Good point. Yeah. You know what I've just said. <laughs> They've all got nine nine games yeah, you know or eight games. Yeah, start okay. They're going to get. You're right. They're going to never get, do maths on the spot. <laughs> they're going to get promoted. But eventually. let's go back to what I was saying. It will yeah. be an interesting atmosphere because it's not like they're both neck and neck, and it's not like say, you know, if one of them were to lose, they may drop out and 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 fall foul of a third place team taking advantage. It is. They're both kind of up. And it, you know, we'll almost. You know, it's a showdown between the two best teams in the division by quite some way. But it will be interesting to see what mm. it's like and what the game's like. And 
just a, a point on, on Burnley. Uh, on, on Sunday night, uh, I was at a, an event in Watford um, put on by, by Lionel Burnley, who we've had on the show before, the, the author and, and Watford fan. Uh, and it was an offshoot of his book, Tales from the Vicarage. And, and it was Luther Blissett, A.D. Buford and Sean Dyche all talking about Watford. And I won't bore you with the stuff all about Watford, but just, just on Sean Dyche, it was very interesting to see him in that setting, away from the football pitch, away from the glare of the post-match interview where he will, you know, week in, week out, just keep going back to his mantra of working hard every game, one game at a time. That's what we do all season. And he was so relaxed and, and there was a real sort of swagger about him and, and all, not an arrogance, but a real confidence and a, a real self-belief in, in what he's doing you know as a manager and, and the journey that he's taken Burnley on and, and how he's you know you just got the sense that there was such belief in him you know it must rub off on the players and it clearly has done this no, season no and, hard feelings and, and, uh, from him about the way he left or? Uh, no absolutely not he, you know he comes across as a really fantastic guy very honest said look football's business and we all we all live under the under the threat of leaving a club at any you know any one time had it as a player who have it as a manager and and you know he moved on and wished us all the best and you know the feelings mutual but i was just very impressed by him and i, I think you know when burnley get promoted to the premier league I think it'll be a real star next season. You know, I think the Premier League and, and the tension that will come to him, will, you know, he'll, he'll take that very well. And I think the media will love him next season. And I think whether, whatever happens to Burnley, if and when they get up next season, I think Sean Dyche will be in the Premier League for, for a there, long time to come. There was a throwaway comment from Stuart Pearce on the uh, Football Focus, actually, on Saturday, saying that he is the Football League Manager of the Year. And you know, even if they don't win the league, I think it's... Won't be surprised. And I've just worked out, I am right, it requires seven games to go. If they beat Yeovil and then Burnley and Derby and QPR both lose, they'll have 21 points with seven games to go. Clear as mud. So Clear. I did get it right. I just Clear said as mud. Seven, six rather than seven. Um, in the playoffs, um, good wins for Derby, QPR, Wigan and Reading at the weekend. We, we've talked obviously about Forest's inadequacies and although they've got so many players that are injured, they were utterly destroyed by Derby on Saturday. Derby yeah. team who hadn't scored a goal, I think, for six hours or something like that before, four games before that, that match. And Craig Bryson taking the headlines in particular with a hat-trick and he's been integral all season to what he's uh, what they've been doing. And they really overwhelmed Forrest with the runners from midfield. Hendrick, Bryson and Bamford linking up very well. Yeah, very much. I mean, they for all the talk of Forrest, Derby were excellent um, at the week. And Craig Bryson, who's done wonders for my fantasy football team, um, I know you guys have forgotten about that, but I believe I'm sat 11th in the air. We are going up. This is why you standings. do so well because you, you're changing and tinkering every week. Well, we've attention. all forgotten about it. Absolutely, yes. It's just shame there's no money at stake. I think I've said Diego Fabrini in my team. <laughs> plays in Italy now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Greg Bryson, yeah, wonderful season. I mean, what is he, 27, 28, which is, I suppose, getting on a bit nowadays in football's terms. He's been there a few years at Derby now, having made his trades at the likes of Kilmarnock before. If Derby go up, is he the kind of player that they well, would he's interesting. do well? Br- 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 Bryson, sure. he's, you know, and, and you mentioned you mentioned Hendrick. And, they, and they, you? Yeah, <laughs> old, old Bamford, yeah, up front. And, you know, the likes of, of Ward. Uh, obviously, the, the big the big attention is always, is always on Will Hughes. But they do have, you know, away from the, sort of the star name in Will Hughes, you know, we've talked at length about Chris Martin as well this season. They, they have these kind of maybe unheralded players who are not household names by any stretch, never necessarily been linked with big moves to other big clubs. But, you know, they've been there for a number of seasons, developing as a team and as a unit under under uh, Nigel Clough. And then Steve McLaren's obviously kicked them on this year. But they do have, you know, a, a good mix there of, of good experienced players who have all been developing and improving and this season they've all come together at the right time. I'll tell you what I did enjoy as well, Steve McLaren coming out to do his post-match interview with uh, Simon Thomas on Sky with a cup of tea in his hand. Just beat your neighbours 5-0, got your first victory in, in ages and he was completely relaxed and obviously a great day for him against his former club as well um, to, to get that, that victory. And QPR obviously level with, uh, with Derby now, sorry. It makes the playoff picture interesting, yeah, well, doesn't it? Um, QPR won, uh, we should say, a Middlesbrough 3-1, another for Ravel Morrison. I know you haven't seen it, but um, the, uh, the an injury time, the Middlesbrough goalkeeper, Dimi <laughs> Constapolopis, might have said that wrong, yeah. uh, go, the ball gets played back to him. Actually, Middlesbrough come close to getting the winner. Ball goes down the other end, he goes to take a kick at it, it takes a horrific bobble just it, in front of him on the edge of the box, and it's just there, it, an open goal just, for Bobby Zamora. Just, Dave, just think of it as Paul Robinson against Croatia. Yeah. Kind of miss kick. I mean, in all fairness to him, he that could have taken a it, yeah. could have taken a touch probably, but he books his place in the end of season <laughs> Duke's reel uh, with that one. And uh, the third goal, which was an excellent taken goal by Morrison, does five and of, seven. He's got it was you know, three great impact. An unfair. Yeah. But you, you're right about the, um, the the playoff pitch though, because uh, Wigan beat Watford, uh, Reading. 
are, uh, are there again. They won at the weekend, uh, 2-1 yep. at Birmingham, 2 yep. for um, McEnough. Joby McEnough in that game. Who else you got? Ipswich winning 2-0 at Brighton. Crowd of That's nearly 30,000. That was a really big win mm. for Ipswich because that brings them right back into it. I know it was Adam Williams. Tweeds, it's of that effect as well. The dream is very much alive, supposedly, at Portman Road. But is it just too much for... Teams like them and, and Brighton. No, but not, not it's not too much because we've seen a Reading one at the weekend, but they you know had a few results. You know they've, they've kind of been in and out. They're they're, they're a funny. You've got team. to assume been... Wigan and Derby are there just on their current form. Yeah, Wigan Derby QPR. There. You'd expect to be there, but that sixth place looks like it is very much Forest, up for grabs. But all Reading, it, you say Ipswich, it's too far Brighton. for Ipswich, but you know they're what they are five points off. Reading at the moment play the same amount of games could be two by the time goal you hear this goal you difference is ten less but you know Reading lose the next game Ipswich win the next game um, and he's absolutely on those you know you're only Ipswich are at home to Derby on, on Tuesday night and Reading are at home to Barnsley so <laughs> you know that's probably going to work better in the favour of, of the Royals but it, it's only one result away from Ipswich being right on the cusp of it and they're not a team that have been talked about much within the playoff sort of shake up this season I don't think they've ever been in the top six but it, you know it would be a real fantastic achievement if Mick McCarthy was to get them up into the sixth spot absolutely uh, down at the bottom of the table Doncaster three wins in the last four games at the right time of season to be getting them Huddersfield, Watford and Sheffield Wednesday they're eight points above the drop now uh, so maybe they'll be safe Blackpool is again uh, picking up another 1-0 win they've uh, just about nudged themselves over the line I think uh, but down at the bottom Barnsley lost to a last minute goal to Bournemouth shocking to give away a goal from a corner in injury time yeah. when you're down there uh, Yeovil Ishmael Miller missed a penalty when they were 2-1 up against Bolton that would have taken them out of the relegation zone uh, Zat Knight equalised uh, Millwall lost again 2-1 at Leeds who we'll come on to in a second Charlton did lose but they had a good win last week and Birmingham who play Millwall this week don't they so that's a yes. huge game it's at the Den on Tuesday night and it's a massive massive game for, for I mean for both clubs but more so for, for Millwall really because Millwall they actually played really well against Leeds at the weekend and they just, they're just really struggling in front of goal the goals have just completely dried up DJ Campbell got one back for them against Leeds but it wasn't enough and you know there is real pressure on them to get the win you know they've had their big games recently against Charlton they've had games at home where they just haven't got the results they need and they absolutely need the point and it's going to be interesting to see whether those players can deal with the pressure because then you know the, the Millwall crowd they're they're fearsome and they, they do support their team and they are you know they are a united sort of force but they also doesn't take much I don't think at the moment for them to kind of be frustrated and to get on the backs of the players so if they don't start well against Birmingham you know who are a better team away from home than they are at home you know they could be you know this could be a devastating blow if they were to lose to Birmingham so it's a huge game for Millwall uh, but just looking at the bottom of the table as a whole it was interesting to see remember how how many points it took to stay up last season that total was so high was it Peterborough went down with 54 yes. did they yeah. they 50 something and it's not going to take anywhere near that high to stay up this season Leeds United then um, they beat Millwall as we just mentioned 2-1 on Saturday to pick up their first win in seven but all the action off the pitch the board of the Football League confirmed on Monday that after considering the eligibility of Massimo Cellino under its owners and directors test he has failed after being found guilty by a court in Sardinia recently of an offence under Italian tax legislation related to the non-payment of import duties on a boat and he was fined €600,000 as a result he's got 14 days to appeal but apparently he said before the ruling was announced that he wasn't going to appeal if he was found guilty so presumably leads it back to uh, square one need an owner again what does this actually mean for Brian Dermott does it mean they might go into administration where, where are we now with this whole shambles of a situation I suppose on the surface of it initially it's a good thing yeah is it a good thing that someone's actually been barred from you know under yeah, this test at absolutely. last absolutely yeah, they've got a you know it, it, it looks to be pretty cut and dry this guy's been you know convicted um, you know of, of of tax evasion isn't he and then that's not someone it may only be for you know not paying the, the tax on a boat or whatever but you might sound sort of quite a frivolous kind of innocuous thing but I bet it was quite a big boat <laughs> yeah absolutely but it would cast aspersions on the man's character his suitability to, to, to run a football club responsibly and well done for the Football League for finally you know taking a stand and saying this guy can't come in and and I suppose Leeds fans will probably breathe a sigh of relief because they've had enough bad owners over the years but it does you know now poses the question where do we go from here uh, GFH Capital is still there and what, what do we do with them and who's going to take over is there anyone who wants to take over and you know how desperate are Leeds it's a difficult situation you know, how quickly do they need necessarily it? be choosers and, but at the same time you, you 
you just you don't want to just sell yourself and think you take anyone who's got a bit of money to come in. They need to get the right person. And we'd, I wonder whether there could be some sort of fan-led um, situation. You know, Leeds, we talk about the Leeds fan base and how fantastic they are, how big they are, continuously supporting their club through through these times through re- re- thin thin. relative trouble. I, I don't know where they go from here. I don't know if there's been any concrete, you know, kind of reports or people wanting to take over. We need to speak to some Leeds fans about that. But it's a difficult one. And again, yet again... For Leeds on the pitch, it's like a season that just kind of stumbles to mm. a finish with with more uncertainty. Uh, let's move down into League One. Let's crack on. Let's try and get through uh, uh, League One and League Two. Wolves spoiled the party as Sheffield United celebrated their 125th anniversary at Bramall Lane on Saturday. James Henry and Dave Edwards with the goal. They won two 0 A good way to bounce back from losing to Crawley last week. That win uh, keeps Wolves top. Although Brentford beat Coventry three one to stay a point behind with a game in hand. And Orient drew one all at Walsall. It leaves them four points back. And Carl, we talked about the. The, uh, the fact that last season in the Championship you needed a hell of a lot of points to stay up. Mark Warburton, the Brentford manager, said after the game on Saturday he thinks his side need a minimum of 95 points to be assured automatic promotion this season. What do you reckon? Which sounds an incredible amount, but you've got to say you can't see them not doing that, to be honest. 95 points is 16 more from their last 10 games. I've got the maths right on that one, um, I believe, which you've got to... Suggest. Five wins and a draw. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I must admit, I don't know their next few fixtures off the top of my head without looking. I know they've got to play a few away games next. I do know that. Leighton Orient Wolves have got to play each other uh, as well. I think that's might even be the penultimate well, game of the Brent, season. Brent, I'll, I'll give you those fixtures, Carl. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. Tuesday evening, Rotherham will be hosting Brentford at the New mm. York Stadium. Four of the top six play each other on which, Tuesday. Which is uh, a big game. Uh, Rotherham been going well. Uh, then they're Brentford are away to Oldham at the weekend. Then they are away to Sheffield United before returning back to Griffin Park to take on lowly Notts County. So a bit of a mixed bag for them in, in the next few weeks. But like you say, I mean, apart from that 3-0 loss to Wolves a few weeks back, there's no team really that they haven't shown that they can comfortably it, beat in this division. It does so show, they should be confident about all those games. It does show, obviously, the three of them are sort of so neck and neck. I know there's a little gap to right now that, I mean, Wolves slipping up at Crawley. They've been on a great run. They have one defeat and suddenly now Brentford win that game and they're back top again. Yeah. So it just shows it's very small margins at this stage of the yep. season. Uh, in the playoffs, Rotherham, as Dave just mentioned there, with a 1-0 win at Peterborough. And uh, I mentioned at the top of the show um, oh by the way Steve Evans that's 50 wins in his first 100 games at Rotherham can't argue with that hell of a stat yeah. and we mentioned at the top of the show that someone won some money on the show because MK Dons came back from 2-0 down yeah. to win 3-2 at Stevenage uh, that was you yeah, don't, I mean, don't worry I'll be here next week I'm not flying <laughs> off to the Bahamas anytime soon and, um, um, and that's really tightened it up as well but it's right? a wonderful way to win that, actually because well, they were 2-0 down with 15 minutes to go yeah. I think and then MK Dons come back with a wonderful comeback Dean Lewington um, scored and lo and behold what, why did they come back why were they allow the opportunity to get the 3-2 victory there was about 7 or 8 minutes of injury time Stevenage <laughs> home game lo and behold surprise. exactly yeah. Ben Reeves pick of the goals in that 30 yards unbelievable strike and they're only uh, 3 points off posh now MK Dons down at the bottom well it's, uh, it's a bit of a free for all still isn't it so many teams involved in fact Coventry who were going you know really well earlier in the season are now below Bristol City so yeah. and they're getting sucked I towards think Presley it. will likely be um, wouldn't surprise me at all if he was off in the summer you know yeah. I think, I think, I think even though it, they have obviously haven't been able to sustain that early season form I think people have been impressed with with what he's done there and how he's dealt with it this season. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if he you know, takes a job either in the upper echelons of League One or maybe, maybe even the Championship. Uh, down at the bottom of uh, League Two, Notts County, uh, 4-1 winning against Carlisle. They needed that great overhead kick from Gary Little in that game. That drops Carlisle into the relegation zone. And of course, Greg Abbott is the Notts County assistant manager now. So he sort of did one over on his old club there. Uh, elsewhere, Oldham beat Crawley, Tranmere lost, Colchester and Bristol City drew. Crew and Shrewsbury, the big winners. Uh, Shrewsbury with their first home win in 11 against Bradford. as kind of scissor kick type volley wasn't it from Sean Miller at the end brilliant finish to win that and crew Chucks and EK two more for him 16 this season now is he on loan from Arsenal Chucks of Hazard um we always say that when he scores at the okay. game, but it's not Fair funny, enough. is it? It doesn't really work. Um, that, doesn't <laughs> work. that doesn't really work. Um, why do you, why do you, uh, it because it looks like Tukes actually that's why when it's, when it's uh, yeah. on, on Sky yeah. right okay what was I saying? <laughs> well, I've got, I saw that is the that is the sum of my contribution to Cruz victory. I apologise. I'm going to des- analysis like that in the bottom of League One, which people listen every week. I'm desperately uh, searching for. There we go. That's Jukes of Hazard, isn't it? Good. 
Just a good old boy. <laughs> Do you play this when he scores? <laughs> should do. Pay the royalties. Right, I think we should move on. Let's get out. Uh, League two, uh, the top three are pulling clear. Six point gap between third and fourth. Rochdale with back to back away wins this week. Northampton and Wickham. Chesterfield drew at Mansfield. Paddy Madden scored a great goal for Scunny against Burton. Uh, Fleetwood, as we mentioned, lost to Exeter. And Oxford, let's get on to Oxford. They're actually playing as we record. They're losing at Southend as we record this. Mm. Uh, but they've got a new manager, Mickey Lewis, signing off with a win against Hartlepool. Gary Waddock is the new Oxford manager um, who's managed QPR, Aldershot and Wickham. Apparently, I was reading some quotes from Ian Lennigan, the uh, chairman of Oxford United, saying they had 71 uh, applications and a short list of 12 uh, for the job, which made me start to think who else would want to. So, which, take is, the, the which job? is the only football league manager that didn't apply for the Oxford <laughs> <Yeah>. job? <laughs> Probably <laughs> Sean Billy, Davies. Billy Davies. <laughs> Billy Davies, yeah. Um, Oxford, well, I know Chris Wilder departing was a you know, big surprise to, to everyone, um, but there's been, I think, seven or eight weeks. It's taken them to appoint someone. Well, they were just in danger of dropping out. I mean, this result isn't going to do them any favours because it's going to sort of get Southend closer and no, maybe yeah. back into the playoffs, or in 2 0, as, as I say these words. In fact, nearly 2 1 there. So they will be, they'll have 56 points after this game, Southend, if they if they win. Before, uh, their first win in which forever. Will be back in, we should be back into the top seven and only three points behind Oxford. So, yeah, mm. massive win. We for appreciate, by the way, that the game's sort of all the time at the moment. So, you know, apologies this is slightly out of date when you hear this. I, I believe the term is thick and fast. Indeed, think, indeed. Um, Plymouth with a one-all draw at Accrington at the weekend. Great goal from Ruben Reed. What a season he's having. Uh, York winning at Pompey, but Carl, I'm sure you agree the highlight of that was the open goal miss by oh, Ryan that's Bowman. Just, that's <laughs> not even League Two standards. Look, it was, look at Portsmouth, though. I oh, know. Well, look we were them. maybe going to cover them today mm. because they're perilously close, aren't Bookies they? Bookies favourites to win the title at the start yeah, of the were. season, weren't they? Yeah, you know? I think they were even odds on. They were that absolutely absolute ridiculous. Sandwich. And they're, what, three points now from, mm. from dropping out of the Football League, potentially. It's, nice. you would, what, you know, you'd, you'd have some real concerns about you know Pompey if they do drop out mm-hmm. in terms of the structure of the club is it you know what's it going to be like what are the adjustments going to be made if they were to become a non-league club that you know they probably still get a lot of fans but as we've said many and many times you know it's not easy to come back into the football league regardless of how big you are um, down at the bottom just uh, making me nervous just looking at it we're only a point above Portsmouth uh, we've got a game in hand we're just drawing we're drawing too much at the moment just death by a thousand draws in our case I, it's, thought, I suppose that is better than some of the teams below I mean well, I mean, low teams and getting on a run that, that goal rather, difference you know, is in your favour though isn't it yeah. rather than having like four, four draws in a row though can we not just like win two and lose two yep. that'd be much better um, yeah and uh, down at the weekend Torquay again they've had, they beat us in last week which is a bad blow for us but then they followed that up losing to uh, Newport on Saturday and uh, we should mention the AFC Wimbledon Cheltenham game which had four goals in five minutes mm. and some ridiculously changing weather it's a beautiful day in the first goal the last goal is absolutely chucking it down and uh, we need to finish before we go we've got, I know we need to get out of here but um, Johnson's Patriot Trophy final on Sunday Chesterfield versus Peterborough Chesterfield going for their second JPT in three years because Carl you were there and you were quite drunk when you came in did the podcast after it I remember uh, it yeah, I, yeah very much so were you Paolo Di Canio Mass? I had my Paolo Di Canio Mass you've lost it now haven't you yeah I left it in my, my old long flat. for that yeah no not really um, if I, I could have got five pounds off some Johnston paint because there was a voucher on the back of the uh, probably expired by now um, you know, uh, what do you reckon this game then because we've got Peterborough who have had a bit of an up and down season but if they can win this that'll obviously get them in you know, good stead going into the last section for the playoffs and Chesterfield obviously um, been at the top all season now down in third the gap, in two. The gap between the two you'd naturally assume uh, it'd be Peterborough um, when the, Chesterfield beat us um, a couple of years ago they were they were bottom of League 1 and we were top of League 2 at the time and we were terrible back then they won 2-0 then you missed a goal um, or something uh, yeah I missed Chesterfield scored about 40 seconds into the second half and I was still at the bar drinking and it was down at the other end they Stay scored really so. after that yeah <laughs> should have gone home yeah, really um, um, Dave prediction I think Chesterfield will do it oh. I don't know why I've just got a feeling that they will ok lump on everyone yeah well I'll go Peterborough on that basis but I, I wouldn't begrudge Chesterfield another victory as the, as the uh, smaller team out of the two ok right well uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll talk about that on the show next week thank you to all our guests today please let us know what you think about the whole Billy Davis situation. We had a few tweets I didn't get a chance to read out uh, this week. At Waggy Podcast is a Twitter. The website is wearegoingup.co.uk. Uh, all the interviews are on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash Waggy Podcast. And if you would like to download a free audiobook, thanks to our mates at Audible, you can still get that right now. Audible.co.uk slash going up. Right, we're going to Nottingham this weekend, aren't oh we? God, aren't we just? Yeah, yeah. so I don't get, know if get the Nottingham Forest. Forest playing at home, I'm not sure. Well, let's, let's have a look. Make it, maybe take a trip down. No, they're playing Ipswich, aren't they? I think that's way. Yeah. That's it's a big game so we'll have tales from shame. what about Knox County have a look let's go to Mansfield that's only up the road <laughs> yeah. 
Someone's got to be at home. We've not got to go over the derby. But Alfredson. We're going to none yeah. of these places. Oh, not County Away crew. No, that's no, that's not. That's on Tuesday. Oh, the dreams are live. <laughs> Come on, we can still do it. Bear with us, lads. Terribly buffering. <laughs> still buffering. Uh, well, Derby are not County are home to Chesterfield. Derby uh, are home to Charlton. Home to uh, home to Colchester. Okay, we can go to Meadow Lane. Right, we're going to Meadow Lane. Big game. We're, we're not, not going to go to Meadow Lane. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to Meadow Lane. We'll be back next week. We'll speak to you in seven days' time. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.